I didn't have my pre-cry, so I was just saying to people before, it's really problematic because it means that I'll cry at some point even though I have no need to cry while I talk. But it's just, you know, that sense of like, oh, this is really vulnerable when people are listening to me talk and the sense of wanting to cry out of that. So it may come and that's okay. Um, yeah, so like Andy said, I'm sharing today about anxiety. Did I turn this on, Phil? It's got a light. Yeah, good. Yeah. And um, there's nothing more anxiety-inducing than preparing a talk on anxiety. So in the last two weeks, I have really had to put into practice all the things that I'm talking about today, which is a really good reminder. And so what I'd like to do is share first a bit about my experience and my journey with anxiety, and then to move into more of a kind of definition of anxiety and some related terms like stress and fear, and then to think about um, what tools have I found helpful in my journey and um, how has, um, as God and I have journeyed together, what have I learned through that as well. So um, my experience with anxiety began in 2011, but it took me a year to have the emotional literacy to use the word and put the word anxiety to my experience. I didn't didn't know that that's what I was experiencing. And from kind of 2011 to 2013, it kind of came in waves on and off. But in 2014, I experienced what I like to call the height or the peak of my anxiety. And this year was the, my first year being a primary school teacher. And as I'm sure you can imagine, being a teacher is a stressful job. If you know teachers, you'll know that they often find their work stressful. And being new in a job is stressful. Most of us will find being new stressful. So as a new teacher, that was stressful. And that was true for me. But my experience went beyond the kind of normal level of stressful. My experience built into a high level of anxiety. Here we go. <laughs> so let me give you a bit of a picture as to what that looks like. Let's take, it's a Wednesday night. I've been at school that day and I'm at home and I'm busy doing whatever it is you do at home on a Wednesday night. But at the back of my mind, I'm not really present in where I am. What I'm thinking about is, what did I do today? Where could I have failed? Where did I experience shame? And kind of going through those moments again and again and again and trying to work out how can I avoid doing that tomorrow? And then thinking about what's happening tomorrow, who might walk into the room, what might they think of me, how can I make sure that they think I'm a good teacher, how can I make sure that their student's learning more because I think that if someone knew where they were at, they would think I wasn't a good teacher. All this thinking and planning about where I may have failed to make sure I didn't fail, or yeah, how could I ensure that I wouldn't fail tomorrow? How could I make sure that I was a good enough teacher? <laughs> so, 
the evening finishes and I go to sleep and um, pretty, pretty much always I had a pretty shit sleep. I often woke up in the middle of the night with kind of racing thoughts related to school. Wake up in the morning with a feeling of dread. Do I have to go to school today? And a really strong um, physical embodiment of anxiety I experienced. Anxiety manifest in my body really strongly. So what that looked like for me was nausea. I really struggled to eat breakfast. It was kind of a struggle every day. But what this physical embodiment, what my response to that was, was more anxiety. I feel anxious. And now I feel anxious about the fact that tomorrow I'll wake up anxious. And I feel anxious that next week I'll still feel anxious. And I feel anxious that next month and next year. And it's just going to go and go and go. And I'm going to be stuck in this anxiety. So the anxiety caused anxiety. I finally make it to school somehow magically. And um, actually I felt quite a lot better by the time I arrived at school. And... God could kind of busy myself in the things of the day. But there would always be at least one, if not several moments in the day, where I would just feel totally out of control. Because it turns out you can't control children. I mean, who knew? <laughs> and so there would be this moment where, you know, things would be going on and what I was, whatever I was doing wasn't, wasn't getting the desired result I hoped for. And I would feel so out of control. And that stirred a sense of anxiety in me. I wasn't going to be able to control um, whether, whether I was seen as a good enough teacher or whether I was successful because my success depended on these children and they were doing whatever the heck they wanted. So there was kind of this sense of anxiety around being out of control and not being able to yeah, control things. And that was true also, um, like in the night before when I'm thinking about the day ahead and I'm wondering, maybe the principal will decide that tomorrow is the day to walk through my classroom. Something I have no control over. Maybe it will possibly happen, but that thought produces anxiety, the sense of not being able to control everything. So that's just a snippet of some of the, kind of the three main ways that I experienced anxiety in a day. So let's move on to thinking about anxiety. What is it? The first thing I would say is that it is, like Andy said, the, the, all the emotions that we're talking about are really normal. Anxiety is really normal. Um, it's a kind of experience that everyone will have at some point in their lives in relation to something. It's a kind of thing that is very normal to experience um, before you start a new job, say, or... Um, you know, before a big change in your life or something like that, it's really normal. Anxiety, though, can develop into a more kind of chronic, longer-lasting, more pervasive experience. And that is kind of a less, less normal, if you like. But still, in New Zealand, we have 1 in 15 people experiencing chronic, ongoing anxiety. So in that way, you could also say that that was common. So what is it? Well, one of the main things that's important about anxiety is that it's future-focused. 
but let's just step back there. What is the definition of anxiety? Anxiety is intense or persistent worry focused on the potential of something happening or not happening in the future. Intense and persistent focused on the future. Uh, Wikipedia called it inner turmoil, which I thought was a very beautiful way of describing anxiety, a sense of inner turmoil. And it's completely unproductive. It doesn't help you achieve anything. It doesn't motivate you, it doesn't encourage you, it does nothing. It's, it's kind of an overwhelming, um, heavy emotion, which you can contrast to worry, which is also future-focused, but worry can be productive. For example, um, I'm worried I don't have enough time so I'm to get to work, so I'm going to walk faster. That's productive. It, it um, gets me doing something that's useful. Or I'm worried that someone might break into my car or kind of come into my car and take something if I leave it unlocked, so I'll lock the car. Pretty simple. It's, it's useful. It has some function. If you then go into the shop and spend the whole time in the shop thinking about the fact that your car's out there and yes, you did lock it, but someone could still break into it and all the, thinking about all the things you have in your car, that's more like anxiety because all those continual thoughts aren't useful for you. They don't help you in any way. But just thinking, oh, better lock the car and you lock the car, that's useful, that's productive. We can contrast that with both fear and stress. So unlike anxiety, fear and stress are focused in the present. They relate to things, moments, experiences that are now. And both fear and stress can be productive and can be unproductive. So i read a lot of things about fear and stress in the last few weeks, and people have really different ideas about what makes fear and stress um, you know, different concepts. So I've done my best to try and uh, understand something from the things I've read. But if we take fear, we often think about fear in relation to safety. Fear keeps us safe. Um, if there is a snake by me, I feel afraid of the snake, so I maybe avoid it or run away or something. That's useful for me. That's, that's in a sense, it's productive. It keeps me safe. Now, fear can be unproductive in the sense that our, um, our response to the thing that we're afraid of can blow out of proportion. So I see a fake snake sitting on that table and run out of the room because I'm scared. That doesn't, it doesn't match. There's no level of danger there. And so my response to the fear is unproductive. Stress, on the other hand, is more related, as opposed to safety, it's more related to our performance, the kind of to get us going, motivated, doing things. And, but similarly, stress can be productive and unproductive. And we have this nice graph here. Um, so we need some amount of stress to motivate us, to kind of get us going, kind of sharpens us, it gets us moving. That's useful stress. 
But at some point, which differs for every person, there will come a point where you've had enough stress that it starts to make your, um, your performance, your productivity starts to decrease. We start to become overwhelmed, we start going slower, that sort of thing. So that's when kind of we get to a point of stress that it starts to overload us and we become less productive. So just to recap, fear and stress, both focused on the present, both can have productive and unproductive elements. Anxiety and worry are both future focused. Anxiety is completely unproductive, whereas worry can be productive. The thing that um, unites anxiety, fear and stress is that they're processed in the same part of our brain, which is called the amygdala. And the amygdala is um, not responsible, well, kind of does two main things. When our amygdala is kind of, um, starts activating, the rest of our brain is flooded. So the rest of our brain kind of stops working, and it's really just our amygdala that's going. Our amygdala tells us three things, fight, flight, or freeze. As it tells us that, it prepares our body to do one of those three things. So that looks like pumping adrenaline, telling your digestive system, don't bother doing that, you've got other things to do, and, and many other things. So whether we feel anxious or fearful or stressed, that's what's going on in our brain. It's that same process. The thing with fear and stress is because they're in the present, we can use what's going on in our body to respond to, to that thing. The problem with anxiety is that it's in the future. So uh, my body's all primed and pumped to do something, but I can't do anything because the situation is in the future, which is one of the reasons why anxiety often manifests in strong physical symptoms because our bodies are all pumped and we can't use that. So how can we respond to anxiety? Well. I'm just going to share some of the ways that I found useful to responding to anxiety. And I want to think about it in terms of um, our heart, our mind, and our bodies. How can we respond in these three different ways? So starting with our body, the most useful thing that I've ever learned to do to respond to anxiety <laughs> is breathe. <laughs> <laughs> and, and simply, really, that is really just breathing, but particularly getting your breathing to deep, strong, long breaths. And the reason that this is important is because that amygdala part of your brain that's going crazy, just saying fight, flight, freeze, as we breathe properly, strongly, deeply, the amygdala is quietened down and the rest of our brain is now coming back into action. So it allows us to be able to think more clearly once we've done some good deep breathing. The second thing that I found really useful is exercise. Now this is because our body's pumped with all that stuff, all that adrenaline, and it doesn't have anywhere to go, but when we exercise, we can release a lot of the things that are in our bodies.
So I used to bike to school each morning, and even though I felt really nauseous when I was at home, often by the time I arrived at school, I no longer felt nauseous. And that was because the kind of um, yeah the stuff that was happening on my body had kind of relaxed and gone, and so I didn't have that physical feeling anymore. With our brain, something that we can do is this idea called externalize which is something that I've learned a lot about in my study this year. It's this idea of separating a problem from yourself, in this case, anxiety from myself. So what that looks like is, I'm me, and I experience anxiety, but anxiety is not me. This is useful because it therefore means that my identity, my experience, who I am, is not defined by my experience of anxiety. And then I have the ability to respond to anxiety when I experience it. But it doesn't get to define me, and I can choose how I respond. And I found that to be really a really powerful image. I used to say to myself, I feel anxious, but I am not the anxiety. Another thing that we can use our brains for is to control what we can control. So when I talked before about um, feeling anxious about just feeling completely out of control, stopping and thinking about what can I control, so often that when I feel out of control, what can I do to feel like I am in control of myself? Now sometimes that comes back to breathing, just breathing and feeling in control of myself. Sometimes, though, controlling what I can control means making a plan. I felt anxious about this talk. Now, there's lots I can't control, for example, like how you experience this talk, what your experience of it is. But what I can control is um, the prep that I do, right? So I made a plan. I would write down some ideas, then I'd have a chat with Lacey. Then I'd go away and practice it myself, then I'd practice it with someone else, blah, 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 blah. So I made a plan that meant that, kind of, instead of my brain freaking out going, it's going to be terrible, you know, I could go, it's all right, brain, look, I've got this plan, and yes, I can't control other people, but I've got this plan, I've, kind of, I've got it. And that, that can be really useful. Something that we can do with our hearts first thing is self-care, which is really hard. <laughs> the counsellor who I saw on and off through experiencing anxiety would often ask me questions like, and how are you going to be kind to yourself this afternoon? And what have you done this week where you really looked after yourself? It was really hard. Uh, but I, I also found that when um, flatmates who I lived with knew that this was something my counsellor was encouraging me to think about, then they would ask me if I had, say I had had a particularly hard day at school, they'd come home and they, say, they would say, so what are you going to do tonight to look after yourself? And that was really helpful. And I thought a lot about what things give me life and what things help me to experience peace, that kind of thing. And I considered those kinds of things. Self-care. Something else that's really helpful, but is something that others can offer us, is empathy. And this is something we can offer other people in their experience of anxiety. 
So what do I mean by empathy? Well, this is what I don't mean. It's really common when you're feeling anxious about something and you're talking with someone about it for them to say, it's going to be okay. Because to them it is, right? But when your brain is going crazy, you can't hear that. That's not useful. In fact, it's really unhelpful because it makes, for me, it made me feel like you don't understand. You don't get me. Another common response might be, that's ridiculous, or I think you're blowing it out of proportion, or that's irrational, Um, which, you know, I could understand, I could hear that, but it didn't really help me. Um, And so what I did find helpful, what what I mean by empathy, is two things. One is a, a sense of, I get you, a sense of validating the feelings that I have. So that could look like, man, I can, I can hear you're really stressed out about this. This sounds really painful for you. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. Man, I really care that you've had a rough day. And then the second element would be the, I'm with you in this. I'm here with you. Often, you know, people couldn't come to school with me. Obviously, that wasn't an option. But a text during the day saying, Hey, Billy, just thinking about you today, I'm wondering how it's going. That's a sense of, of being with me in it. That was really significant. So these are kind of practical things, I guess, that we can do with our bodies, our minds, and our hearts. But I want to add a few things that we can do with our hearts and minds that, um, that I learned through... Um, I guess through journeying with God through anxiety. And the first one is prayer, which I think of as a heart thing. Um, But specifically what I mean is others praying for me or others praying with me. (laughs) And... really powerful about having others pray with me or pray for me is essentially this empathy. You're connecting with me. You're, you're caring about my experience. You're with me in my experience, even if it's just those two minutes. But that's really significant. And a sense of kind of sometimes um, kind of being able to, if it feels too hard for me to bring it to God myself, Having others bring it to God with me, um, yeah, it's really significant. Two other things which I kind of think about is the same thing, though don't really look like the same thing, are scripture and singing. And the reason that I kind of think about these things is the same thing, because for me it was just about having words that I could say to myself or sing to myself over and over that spoke of who God was. So I had some scriptures that I particularly liked and some songs that I particularly liked that spoke about things like God's care for me, God's hope, God's um, strengthening me, God's peace. And so I would um, read, read one particular verse every day before I went to school and often I'd try and kind of hum to myself as I was getting ready for the day, these different songs, so that I had these 
these words, these truths about God going through my mind as the day went on. Um, there's one other way that I want to share about in which um, I experienced God journeying, journeying with me or God meeting me in this journey, um, which is the hardest thing to talk about because it's just quite weird, um, which I like to call, do I like to call, which I call um, a miraculous healing experience. Um, so let me explain what I mean by that. So literally what I mean is I had a miraculous healing experience. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of 2014, so my first year of teaching, our, the community that I lived in, Inc., we went away for a retreat together to Natiawa. And the week before we went away, I had found out that I hadn't got my job back. I had reapplied for my job and not got it. Um, and I was completely anxious out of my brain. Like, could I even be a teacher anymore? Like, was I any good? Was that why I didn't get my job back? You know, like, who would want to take me? Maybe I should never be a teacher because I experience all this anxiety, so maybe I can't be a teacher. Can I even do any job if I experience this much anxiety? And, you know, this kind of quite overwhelming talk about what this situation meant for me. But we went away on a retreat. Um, which actually I considered staying at home because I thought, man, I'm in such a bad space. Maybe it won't be any fun, me going. But I did go. And there were two things that led up to this miraculous healing experience. The first thing was we did an imaginative prayer on Matthew 14, which is the verses um, where Jesus walks on the water and then Peter walks on the water out to meet Jesus. And then Peter gets scared, so he starts drowning. And then Jesus um, like pulls him out of the water. And we were encouraged to imagine ourselves in the story. And unsurprisingly, I imagined myself as Peter, particularly related to the whole drowning thing. <laughs> um, and then in the scripture, it said, immediately Jesus reached out. And I felt so pissed off. I was like, where the heck is my immediately? I've gone a long year of intense struggle, and then to find I don't have a job, you know, at the end of it, was like, where the heck is my immediately? And I felt really, really angry. So that was the first thing. The second thing was that night in the chapel time, after, after the chapel time, a friend came and prayed for me, and without any prompting or anything from me, prayed that God would miraculously heal me from anxiety, which actually I thought was a bit weird at the time, because I guess my theology was that God is with me in pain, but God doesn't magic away anything. And so, and, and that... That had been true to my experience in lots of senses, even though at that time I felt very angry. Um, and so I kind of thought, oh, that was a nice prayer, but, you know, not going to happen. The next morning, I woke up really grumpy and thought, oh, this isn't very nice. I should go and sort myself out. 
So I went for a walk by myself to the river. And when I arrived at the river, for some reason I had these stories about um, Jesus telling people to go and wash themselves in the water and they'd be cleaned and healed. And I thought, oh, that's really funny. You know, someone prayed for me last night and now I'm thinking about being healed. And Of course, that's ridiculous. And then I was kind of, you know, praying and whatever down in the river trying to get myself into a better space. And then I thought, oh, I've been away a while. I should probably go back. But I just had the sense that I wasn't ready to go back. And so I asked God, is there something more you have for me? And again, had these stories of people going, Jesus telling people to go into the water to be cleansed and healed. And so I realized I had two choices. To walk back up to everybody else and hold, not feel so stupid about myself, perhaps. Or to get into that water and maybe feel absolutely ridiculous, but maybe that was worth it. Maybe something would happen. So obviously I decided it was worth the risk. So I stripped down to my undies and got into the water, which was knee deep at the time. <laughs> it was very inelegant. I'm glad no one saw it. <laughs> and so I knelt down in the water and pictured myself as Peter, drowning in knee deep water. <laughs> And kind of cried out to God saying, here I am drowning, you know, will you come and lift me out? And then I awkwardly kind of put my body out of the water and, you know, came out of the water. And the first thing that came into my mind was, your faith has made you well, go in peace. And with that, the sense of trueness, the sense that I wasn't making it up, the sense that somehow that had happened, that that was true, that that was real. And so of course I, you know, put my clothes back on and went, went and talked with my, told my friends and people prayed for me and we had a big celebration and it was really cool. But so what did that mean? Well, it meant everything kind of everything changed and at the same time perhaps you could say not much changed. My physical embodied experience of anxiety changed quite significantly. I, I enjoyed eating breakfast for the first time in years <coughs> and um, yeah, didn't, didn't really experience much nausea at all after that and also felt a lot less worried about the future kind of wasn't even worried about whether I had a job or not and kind of felt like I was going to be okay. Felt fine going to school each morning, didn't dread it. It was really a massive change for me. But it's also not to say that I've never experienced anxiety since then. Obviously I experienced anxiety preparing this talk. So, um, but perhaps I would say that I've experienced more of a normal level of anxiety not so much the long-standing, long, chronic experience of anxiety. Although, in also saying that, I can think of some patches of time last year where anxiety did feel pretty overwhelming. So I don't know, what do you do with that?
But I think my understanding is both that God definitely, there was a sense that God healed me in that, in that moment, in that mysterious experience, but also that God is healing me. It's a continual process. And significantly, I learnt four things about God in that experience that I think I had been missing or hadn't been sure of. I learnt that God really did care about me and about my experience. I think it's easy when we experience a lot of pain to feel like God doesn't really care about our pain because if he did, it wouldn't be there. But I, I guess I experienced a sense that God really cared about my situation. <coughs> I experienced a sense that God was with me, both this um, sense of the ongoing daily, he, w- he had been with me each day as I had struggled to go to school, but also the sense um, that, he, yeah, that he was really with me. And also that he would strengthen me that situations that might come up in the future that could worry me, could cause anxiety, that somehow I was more able to trust that God would enable a way for me to go through it, that it wasn't something that that I needed to feel overwhelmed by, but that God would strengthen me to be able to face those challenges. And finally, that there was immense hope you know, the anxiety about feeling anxiety, that kind of cycle of sense of stuckness was, was gone. And a real kind of understanding that, that, that our God is a God of hope, that there is so much hope for me, that I'm not stuck, that other people aren't stuck, that, that this world isn't stuck, that God's active and involved. And I guess that's the thought that I'd like to leave you with, this idea of a God of hope who is actively involved in our lives and who, as we journey with him through the things in our lives, he, he is moving us forward. We are not stuck in the places we are in now. And, um, yeah, I think particularly the words of that song that we sung, Waiting on the Lord, we will walk the way of peace.